so much going on. I have to first say thank you to everyone who showed up last night for the tailgate concert. Can you give yourselves a hand? My, my, my. For those who may not know, the tailgate was a Christian hip-hop outreach concert last night. And we must have had 50 rappers on the stage last night. And each one of them was on the mic. I got to thank Brother Ryan up there on the sound, because it's not easy when rappers are like, yo, 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 turn my money up. Yo, 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 give me more. Yo, yo, yo. Man, you hung in there, baby. You hung in there. Thank you, man. Thank you. And uh, just so proud of all of you who serve the community. As you prepared the sanctuary, you, you, you moved the chairs back, you brought them back in late last night. I mean, there were hundreds of young people here. And uh, as Donna said earlier, 12 people made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And uh, again, just so thankful for how you serve the community. Uh, the men's ministry had a cooking class, I'm told, on Saturday. I was not able to attend, but I saw y'all made some shrimp and some noodles. Uh, what else y'all make, Brother Jerry? What else y'all make? Shrimp? Y'all ha have any vegetables? Oh, you weren't there? You didn't make it? Which one of the brothers made it? Which one of the brothers made it? Okay. All right, all right. Now, did y'all, how did it taste, though? Amen, amen. So are y'all ready to do something? Because, you know, Valentine's is this week. And I think I saw a single brother in there, too. Homer, I saw you up in there, babe. You had a hairnet over your scalp. Uh, wait a minute, church. Wait a minute, sir. He had a hairnet over his scalp. Y'all were serious with that up in there, weren't y'all? Amen, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, discipleship hour started this morning, men's class, women's class. Were you able to attend? Were you able to get up and get out at 9 o'clock? Huh? All right. All right. Some of us who hung out late last night couldn't get up quite as early as we would have liked. And then this coming Wednesday is our second Wednesday for Impact Wednesday nights, where we have our huddle group ministry, which is small groups for us to get together in smaller representations of the body so that we can get to know other people and other people can get to know us. We can bear one another's burdens and people can bear our burdens. And so uh, this Wednesday, it's not too late. If you would like to come out and be in a huddle group, we've got five of them. As a matter of fact, out in the foyer when you leave, there'll be a card saying, I want to be a part of a small group. Would you sign me up? And we'll put you on either the Colts, the Ravens, the Eagles, the Bears. I can't even remember all the other teams we have. But uh, we'll put you on one of the teams. And this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, like we always do, bring some food. Bring some food for you to eat and for some other folk to eat. We lay it out in the fellowship hall and we spend time eating together, having table fellowship. Then we'll break up into our small groups. So come on out. If you know you need to grow, and we all need to grow, and we can't grow without community. So come on and get into a small group Wednesday night, not too late. And then next Sunday, we're going to have a business meeting after church just to fill you in on where we're going uh, as far as some of the immediate and long-term goals that the church has. We just had our, our, our elders retreat about two weeks ago. So the brothers are going to share for about 15, 20 minutes. Um, and so we'll try to end church early. Y'all know we don't always end church early like we want to, but we'll try to end it early so that we can uh, have some business discussions. And uh, so that'll be next Sunday after church. All right, all right. And then Friday is the Valentine's banquet. So 25 couples we're looking for. I think we have room for a couple of more. Okay, we're meeting at the home once again of Sean and Lana Bell. 
Not everybody has a dance floor in their house, but Sean and Lana Bell has one, and it's nice, y'all. So come on out, come on out. There's still room for you. There's still room for you at the cross and on the dance floor. All right. Well, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah chapter 38. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for starting this thing called the body of Christ, the family of God. For all of us were born estranged from you, separated and cut off from spiritual life in you because we've sinned. All of us have. But thank you, Lord, as we just sang, great is your mercy towards us. Thank you that you made a way to pardon our sin through a payment of your son. Thank you that he gave his life in exchange for ours because he loves us. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who are filled with the love of Christ to go and let the world know that you do care about the things we go through. So, Lord, right now, would you help me with this word to preach it? And would you help your people to have ears to hear and then give all of us strength to apply it? Thank you, God. It's in you that we live, that we move, and that we have our being. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who may not know, I am a member of the 2017 Leadership Nashville class, which uh, already is the best class that Leadership Nashville has ever had. And they started in 1979. And I'm part of the latest class. And, uh, and if you see some rowdy people today, some of my classmates came today to enjoy the Lord with us. So I'm, I may have them wave a hand or stand in a minute. But something happened to us on Thursday that not only touched our lives, but it also altered the sermon that I was planning to preach. I had something else in store, but after Thursday, the Lord said, scrap it and preach something else. Now, if you've been hanging with us, this is the second week that the Lord has scrapped the sermon. Now, I wish he would tell me like on Monday when I start studying and putting all these hours in, and not on either Thursday night or Saturday night that it's going to change. And so when I saw the Lord tugging on my heart to change the message, I invited my friends to come. And many of them came from Leadership Nashville uh, because we were wrecked in a good way by what is known as the privilege line. We had many activities. We heard from many speakers that day. But I think the thing that wrecked all of us was the privilege line. Some of you may say, what is the privilege line? Well, the privilege line is designed to see how power and privilege, or a lack thereof, can affect our lives and the lives of others in ways that we may not be aware. So let me say that one more time. The privilege line is designed to see how power and privilege, or the lack thereof, can affect our lives and the lives of others in ways that we may not be aware of. The purpose of the exercise was not to produce shame on either end of the spectrum, but to bring about an awareness that hopefully will lead to action. 
And so what we were told to do, we were standing in the middle of a room and we lined up according to our birthdays. Now there are about 40, 45 of us in this class. And so we lined up all the way from January all the way through December. And it's a diverse group of people, leaders from all over the community, men, women, black, white, Latino, uh, other nationalities and ethnicities, and we lined up across this room. And y'all know your pastor's birthday is in July. Don't forget that. Your pastor's birthday is in July. <laughs> Amen. And we were given instructions. And the instructions were to hold hands with one another. Okay? So we had to hold hands. And then we were told that questions would be read to us. And we were to respond accordingly to the question. So when the question would go forth, and if it resonates with you one way or another, you were to either take one natural step forward or one natural step backwards. So here are some of the questions that we received during the privilege line. One question was, if you've been born in the United States of America, take one step forward. If you are a citizen of the United States of America, take one step forward. If you have a visible or invisible disability, take one step backwards. If your parents read to you, take one step forward. If English is not your first language, take one step back. If your parents own their home, take one step forward. If you had illegal drug use in your neighborhood growing up, take one step back. If you took a trip outside of the country before your 18th birthday, take one step forward. If you've ever gone without food, take one step back. If you've been raised with staff in your house, take one step forward. If you've had over 50 books in your home, take one step forward. If someone helped you to get a job, especially one that is a gainful employment kind of a job, take one step forward. If your parents were professionals, i.e. doctors, lawyers, uh, police officers, take one step forward. If you were discriminated against because of race or gender or orientation, take one step back. If you had to move because your parents lost a home, take one step back. If you received an inheritance from your parents of any kind, take one step forward. If you attended a private school, take one step forward. If you saw negative portrayals of your race on television, take one step backwards. So by the time all the questions went forward, and there were others, and these were ones I tried to remember from memory, we were all over the room, and we could no longer hold hands with one another. And as people next to you were either moving forward or moving backward, you began to lose the grip of the person whose hand 
you were holding on to. And we were instructed as we looked around the room and we saw primarily our white brothers and sisters in the front of the line and our people of color towards the back of the line. And right in the middle, we had a Latino lady, uh, two African-American women, one light-skinned with light eyes. She was in the middle. But there was a huge gap. And we were told to just sit in it for a minute and just feel the emotion. And all of us, through a simple exercise, we had so many feelings running through our hearts. And here are just a few of the observations we made. We get together at the end of the day and we have a caucus. And even during the day, we talk on the bus when we travel and just to see how one another feels or how one another is doing. And one of the things we came up with was those in the front should never be made to feel guilty about their privilege because God is the one who blessed you with that privilege. You know, you had no say over what family you would be born into. You had no say over what gender you would be born or what nation you would be born into. You had no say over that. But according to the book of Acts chapter 17, it's God who sets up the nations and it's God who sets individuals up when and where and how he pleases. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that it is God who makes the rich and the poor. Okay, so, so we don't need to be ashamed about our privilege, but we should be ashamed if we do nothing with our privilege by way of helping others. Secondly, we observe that those of us in the back said that we did not feel bad about our parents because our parents did the best they could with what they had. And so many of us were tearful and we were also thankful because some of us grew up in a kind of poverty that everyone around us was poor and we didn't know that we were living in poverty. If we had Kool-Aid with sugar in it, we were doing all right. You see, my man Chauncey grew up eating wish sandwiches, didn't you? I wish I had some meat up in here. <laughs> Thirdly, we saw no matter how far back you are, there's always going to be someone further back. And so this was a good word to us as black people, as African-Americans, as Negroes, take your choice. That as we find ourselves uh, in the back, if you will, of the privilege line, there's always someone further back. As a matter of fact, there is a man in our group who's from Sudan. He uh, has come here. He has a ministry ministering to refugees. And Gat, my man, was in the back, almost near the kitchen until our leader, Miss Jerry Williams, said, Gat, you come up here and stand with me. Because as we stood all through the room, again, it was emotional for us, but it reminded us as black people that there's still people back there, even in our own family, that we don't want to get a little bit and then forget about them. We don't want to become bourgeois. We don't, wanna, we don't want none of that. We're not better than anyone else. It's only because of grace. So we just don't want to move out of the hood like the Jeffersons and forget the hood. Come on, talk back to me now. Say, hey, man, somebody. 
Because y'all know how we do when we get a little bit of something, something. Those of us in the back could understand but never condone the negative sentiment of those who harbor envy and resentment against others who are ahead of them. So it's been asked, what would make a young African-American male or Latino male or a Caucasian male born in poverty want to shoot someone, want to rob someone, even want to kill someone? And as one of our people said in the back that he can understand the resentment, when you look up and you see that everybody is in front of you and you're in the back and you begin to have envy. You see, there's a difference between coveting and envying something. Coveting is when I want what you have, and we all do that. But envying is I not only want what you have, but I don't want you to have anything. And I'm willing to take what you have from you. And Joseph's brothers in the Old Testament, uh, they envied their brother because father, you know, Jacob, he held Joseph, unfortunately, to a higher place of esteem than he did his other ten sons. And so Joseph had this coat of many colors. None of the other brothers had that. And so the brothers envied their own brother to the point where they were willing to not only scheme against him, but to kill him if they had a chance. And that's what envy will do for the brothers in the black community or the brothers in the white community or the Latino community. We not only covet what you have, but sometimes we don't want you to have anything because we don't have anything. It's a disease of the heart. But finally, we saw that all of us have a personal and familial responsibility to keep on reaching forward. We all should keep on reaching forward towards personal and familial goals, but at the same time being ambidextrous to reach back to help those who are behind us and to empower them and to equip them. So it's not either or, it's both and. We should have personal goals of education. We should have personal goals of finance. We should have personal goals of how we want our families to be. But the Lord put us here to be our brother and our sister's keeper. So if I just worry about me getting, and I don't worry about people who are less fortunate than me, then I've missed the point of being a blessing. Because he's blessed me to be a what? A blessing. So what should we do with our God-given privilege? It comes from him. Everything we have, it comes from him. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Everything we have is because of him and from him. So what should we do with our God-given privilege? We should use our privilege to empower others, especially the hurting, especially the poor, especially the marginalized, especially the disenfranchised, and especially the racialized. So who should be on the front line of all this refugee stuff? It should be us. Who should be on the front line of what's going on in North Dakota in Standing Rock? It should be us. Who should be on the front line in Chicago dealing with injustice and black-on-black -black crime and all of the corruption that's happening? It should be us. Standing in this community, it should be us. It's been said that diversity, listen to this, is inviting different people to the team. Yeah, yeah, that's what we should do. No more segregation, there should be integration. 
And not just because in 1954, the Supreme Court said that segregation in public schools has now been cast down and we should come together. Not only because of that, but because God said we should come together. And so we should come together. We should be diverse. But listen to this. But empowerment is putting people we've invited to the team in the starting lineup. Diversity is inviting everyone to the team, but empowerment is putting those people on the team in the starting lineup. So within my institution of the local church dealing with pastors who say they want diverse churches, but their leadership continues to remain homogeneous. And they don't want to give up power to folks, but yet they want different kind of people to come to the church. But don't you know when different kinds of people come to church, they want to look up on the platform and see people who look like them and have true authority in the ministry. The same is true in business, education, any institution we see today. And so those of us who have power have been called to give that power away. This is when we find out who truly is spiritual wool. Because naturally, we want to hold on to our stuff. We want to hold on to our power and our prestige. But the Lord says, what you have received from me, pass on to one another. Oh, my Lord, deal with our selfishness, starting with me. That's why for Christians, he gives us a cross to carry. Because every day, we got to put some stuff to death, starting with selfishness. It's been said that the Christian has three enemies, the devil, the world, and self, or the flesh. And the flesh is the greatest enemy we'll ever have. It ain't the devil. It ain't the world. It's me. Because although I'm righteous, there's still this tendency to be wretched and to be selfish. But thank God for the cross and the indwelling Holy Spirit who checks you when you start getting selfish. That's why when John the Baptist went out preaching, he was like, man, if you've got two cloaks, give one of them to somebody else, man. What you going to do with two coats just sitting up in your closet when somebody else is walking around without one? Come on now. Whoa, that's real deal stuff. But the comment that penetrated my soul more than any other remark during the privilege line came from an African-American man named Alfonso Alexander as the chief relationship officer at the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy. Stop and pause. I don't even know what all that means, but, but the brother is raw. He rough. He a sharp brother. Deal with money. Always look good. I even look down at his shoes, and his shoes look good. Oh, man, this brother is sharp. And uh, Alfonso is highly regarded and respected. But during the privileged line exercise, Alfonso stepped further back and further back and further back that, as he said, I was standing in the hallway because there was a door and the brother kept going back and he was in the hallway. And he said this, many people of color not only started in the back, but we also started in the hole. I know we don't want to hear that today. I know we want to think that, you know, everything, the, the whole playing field is level now. But as my sister Mignon said, she said, you know what? 
things are better for our children because they have more access to things that we nor our parents had access to as far as equal opportunities for all. But let us not forget that slavery that began in Europe and then found its way over here in America lasted for over 400 years. Let us not forget that legalized segregation lasted for 100 years here in America. And we barely have a generation that has been able to walk in the freedom of the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and those things. Martin Luther King died the year that I was born, 1968. And when we look up 49 years later, we see that some things still have not changed. Have they gotten better? Absolutely. But let's not try to act like the field is level now, especially when many of our people not only started in the back, but in the hole. And it's only because of God that they've been able to progress forward because what many of our white uh, brothers and sisters said as they looked back and they saw their black friends in the back, it broke their heart because they had no idea to know that many of us grew up the way in which we did. But again, it's only by the grace and mercy of God that we are where we are today. Your pastor was in the back. Oh yeah, I was in the back. But my friends, they looked at us with compassion in their eyes. But not only that, but they said, what can we do to bridge this gap? What can we do with our privilege? I'm so glad you asked. Real quickly, in Jeremiah chapter 38, Jeremiah 38, so many stories I could take you to in the Bible, so many, but this is our unsung Bible story time, and, uh, and I want to share a story with you that some of us may not be as familiar with. Sure, I could tell you about the Good Samaritan. Sure, I could tell you about Paul and his letter to Onesimus or Philemon trying to set the slave Onesimus free. There's so many things I could give you, but let's go to Jeremiah 38, and I'll begin reading at verse 1. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukul, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes over to the Chaldeans or the Babylonians shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Real quickly. Jeremiah was not a loved preacher because he told the people things that they did not want to hear. His role was a lot like mine, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And he preached that because of past idolatry on the nation of Israel and a lack of repentance before Yahweh, judgment is coming. God is going to discipline his children, and he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to do that. So as he went around preaching that message, even weeping over the disposition spiritually of the people of God, they didn't want to hear that message. They wanted to hear that message that Israel is always strong. Matter of fact, let's make Israel great again. We're known for our power. How dare this prophet come and say that God is going to humble us and that we need to hand ourselves over to the Babylonians. No, we're going to fight the Babylonians. So Jeremiah was not a popular preacher. 
verse 4 says, Therefore the princes, those four guys, said to the king, Please let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hand of the men of war who remain in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah the king said, look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they, all four of them, took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire or mud. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. So Jeremiah was placed literally in a hole. And they left him there to die a slow, agonizing death. What did he do to deserve that except do what God told him to do? What did my African ancestors do when Africans captured and sold other Africans to Europeans? What did they do? Because y'all do know that before the Europeans could take our people, our people had to sell our people, capture our people and sell our people to the Europeans. And unfortunately, some of us are still selling out each other to this day. If we're going to tell the truth, we got to tell all of it. What did he do? To die a slow death from dehydration and starvation and suffocation and hypothermia. What did he do to deserve that? Nothing. Nothing. So Jeremiah represents powerless and innocent people who have been thrown into a hole and who lack certain privileges. So listen to that. He, he represents those of us who have been placed in a certain category or a hole, if you will. And we lack certain privileges that other people, because separate wasn't always equal. And when you think about going to school with second-rate school books, if you have any school books at all, if you think about living in neighborhoods where you've been redlined and, and told this is where your people have to live and there won't be any jobs or opportunities in those communities. Matter of fact, we may even dump some drugs into that community and we're going to heavily police that community and we're going to make sure that the people in that community who get caught with crack cocaine have more severe penalties than those who may be caught in other communities with powder cocaine. We're going to dump you off with lack of access to health care, lack of access to jobs, gainful employment, good education. We're just going to leave you there. Then we're going to blame you when you turn on each other and start hurting each other. My goodness. Well, I'm so glad the story doesn't end right there. I'm so glad the story doesn't end right there. There's more to the story. Look at verse 7. Now, Abed-Melech. The who? The who? So there are Africans in the Bible. Let the church say amen. I never knew that. When I was growing up, I thought everybody in the Bible was white. Even the black people, I thought they were white.
And God going to let you know this was a brother. Because he, he going to keep repeating it over and over. The Ethiopian, the Ethiopian. Just because he knew the time would come when people would try to rub Ethiopians out of biblical history. And God said, no, I'm going to let y'all know. I'm going to repeat it four times. And this is an African cat. And he was one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house. He heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Abed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king. So he had access to the king. He had privilege and he had power. Everybody didn't have that kind of power. But rather than being silent, rather than saying, let somebody else deal with that, I'm looking the other way. He said, no, 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 no. I got to do something with this power that I have. I'm a eunuch in the king's court for a reason, and I'm going to go step to the king because a good man shouldn't have to die like that. And so he said in verse 9, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they've done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is. For there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Abed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon or out of the pit or out of the hole before he dies. So Abed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from their old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Abed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with the ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So if Jeremiah represents innocent people who've been cast into holes and pits by other people, even of their own kind, because the people who put Jeremiah in the hole were his own people, Abed-Melech, the Ethiopian, represents those of us with power to go and help the powerless out of their situation. To not only pull them up out of the hole, but to make sure their feet are set on steady ground. And so what do we do? What should we do with our God-given privilege? Number one, we have to care about somebody other than ourselves. Abed-Melech could have kept on going, doing his thing, but he heard a man was put in prison and he was about to die, a good man. And so Abed-Melech cared about Jeremiah, the person, and not, Jer not just about Jeremiah, the prophet. Because sometimes people want to care about us because of our position. No, man, forget my position. Do you care about me because of who I am, a child of God made in the image of God? You ought to love me no matter what. But secondly, what do you do with your power? We have to do something for somebody other than ourselves. So we can get involved. We can be mentors. We can be tutors. So after you care, you got to do something. What can I do? Because I just don't want to care. What can I do? I can speak up for those who have no voice. We can protest. We can defend them in court. We can hire them. We can invest in them. And like many of you have done in this church, we can adopt them. Oh, that's something we all can do. God never called us to be the Savior, but he called us to imitate the Savior. We're not the Savior. There's no great black hope, no great white hope, no great brown hope. There's only the great hope, and his name is Jesus. 
so look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 on the screen. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became what? Poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus came from the ultimate gated community, y'all. He just didn't wave from a distance. He suited up and got in the game. And when he got in the game, he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant. Jesus was born in poverty to identify with poor folk. And when he started his ministry, he went first and started preaching to his people about poor people, saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives, and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus was hanging with the prostitutes and the drunkards and the sinners, much to the chagrin of the stiff-necked, stuck-up religious community. But Jesus didn't let that stop him. He came to seek and save the lost. And the religious community just didn't know that they were lost. But them sinners knew they were lost. And they could connect with Jesus and he with them. But what do we do with this privilege after we care about somebody and after we do something for somebody? We have to do something for a people other than our people. You may have missed this point, but uh, Jeremiah was a Hebrew or Jewish. Ebed-Melech was an Ethiopian. And Ebed-Melech could have said, now, I'm too focused on helping my own people that I ain't got enough strength and time to focus on helping the Jewish people. Matter of fact, man, I'm a castrated man, because that's what a eunuch is. I'm castrated now because of them Jewish people. Because you can't work in the king's court probably around the harem and have all your plumbing. I'm going to keep on moving. I'm going to keep on. I'm going to go by that. <laughs> but the same people that castrated him in the system, he turned around and had a heart for a representative from that people group. He could have said, based on what they did to me and my grandfather, they hung us from trees. They did this. I hate all white people. I don't trust them. I don't want to be around them. But when God touches your heart, you got to love people. Why? Because God loves you. And the love that comes to you is supposed to go through you, especially with people outside of your ethnic group. Do things that no one expects for you to do with people that no one expects for you to do it with. Mm, I'm going to say it one more time. That was good to me. Do things that no one expects for you to do with people that no one expects for you to do it with. Now, be careful. They may call you a so-and-so lover. Be careful, they may call you an uncle so-and-so. But don't worry about what they call you because you know you're called a child of God. And you just do what God has called you to do because on the cross, there was no racial discrimination. On the cross, there was no gender discrimination. On the cross, there was no economic or educational discrimination. The, the ground around the cross is level because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God and need his mercy. And if God accepts and embraces everyone, why can't we? So Jeremiah found himself thrown into a hole. And some people are placed into a hole. 
Some people traveling uh, last week into America found themselves in a hole where they were separated from family members. They didn't have power to overturn the decision that was done in Washington. And every president has had his controversies from Obama to both Bushes to Reagan. So this is not against this president. So don't hear that. There have always been controversial things that's done. But what makes America great is that the people step up. And the people say, no, something ain't right about that. I wasn't born yesterday. I don't know everything, but something ain't right about that. And we're going to protest this thing. And that's how we've gotten to where we are. And so the founders of our republic, they were smart enough to put those things into our constitution so that there would be a checks and balances of the three uh, heads of our government and that the people would have a voice. And so right now we're seeing our constitution played out where somebody with power, a judge says, I must overrule the executive branch for the sake of the people. I got to step in. I just can't be quiet. I know the intention is right. You want to protect America. I get that. But there has to be a better way to do it. So until we can come up with a better way, we got to put some brakes on this thing so that some people can come in here and get medical attention so some people can come in here and be united with their family and have an opportunity to a new life. Because last I checked, we all came over here besides the natives on different ships. We all came over here, Charles, on different You were here first. We don't have a right up in here. So how dare we say somebody else can't come in? America must humble itself or God will humble America. If he punished Israel, what makes you think he won't punish America? If he raised up Nebuchadnezzar, he's raised up every other president and king since then, and he can use them to get his people. We say we're a Christian nation, right? God is okay, well, we're going to send y'all through some fire so that we can burn off the dross so that you will cling to the true Jesus and represent him over your denomination, over your race, over your class. Represent Jesus. And the best way to do that is through trials and suffering. So church, don't be discouraged. Don't be fearful over these times. These are great times to be ambassadors of Jesus, to love people where they are, how they are, who they are, believing that the love of Jesus will continue to transform them as he is transforming us. Jeremiah was in a hole, but Abed-Melech did something about it. But both men, as I close, had a responsibility in this thing. One had to reach down. Or in our privilege line, he had to, or she had to reach back. Because somebody was back there. Somebody that had a need. But the one who was back here, or in the dungeon, or in the hole, also had a responsibility to reach up as well. You just can't say, throw me a rope, and you just do like this and say, no, I don't want to reach. No, you better use your arms and reach and help yourself. Stop complaining about what other people ain't doing for you if you're not willing to do for yourself. You may not have a lot of privilege, but use the privilege you got. I'm tired of our black kids putting down other black kids who take advantage of their education and want to do well in school. Oh, you're trying to be white now. No, I'm trying to be educated now. Since when did being educated be white? Don't you know our history? When we fought to learn how to read, even when it was illegal. 
We fought to go to school. So now you think I'm going to walk around school with my pants hanging off my behind all day, hanging in the corner acting ignorant? You must be crazy. My ancestors went through too much. Both men had to reach. One had to reach this way, and then the other had to reach that way. And then when Jeremiah got up out the cistern, he had to keep on reaching. He had to keep reaching this way, and he also had to keep reaching that way. Because you can't get out the cistern and not reach back. I know you're reaching forward for your personal goals, but don't you forget there's somebody else back there. Because that's what God has called you to be. To reach this way for your family. Reach this way for yourself. Reach your goals, but also reach this way. You know, when there's a flood in a city, they'll put those sandbags out to try to stop the waters from coming inland. So people will organize and they'll get these sandbags and put them out so that especially if they're near a shoreline or whatever, that, that they know water's going to come crashing against the city. They do their best to stop the onslaught that's coming by stacking sandbags. And so when they get the word that a storm is coming, not only do they board up their windows and board up their doors, they will get together as a community. A truck will pull up. And on this truck, there will be sandbags by the hundreds. And the people form a long privilege line. Starting right at the mouth of the truck, somebody on the truck picks up a sandbag, hands it to the first person down on the ground. The person who receives the sandbag, the opportunity for salvation to protect themselves, doesn't run home with it. They just don't hold it real close, you know. What they supposed to do is to take it and turn around and hand it to the next person who reaches this way and gets the sand and turns it around and hands it to the next person. And then that person takes the opportunity, turns around and hands it to the next person. And then they stack it there to protect the whole community from the onslaught of poverty, from the onslaught of illiteracy, from the onslaught of racism. They work together as a community. Wellstrong Tower Church, a truck has pulled up to the church. And it's God's truck. Uh, the, the, the Father is driving, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are on the back. And they're handing out to the people of God sandbags called mercy, sandbags called love, sandbags called grace, sandbags called empowerment. And when you get it from God, you turn around and give it to somebody else. You turn around and give it to somebody else. Let's do this. We can do it. We're supposed to do it. My God. We can do it. Stand on your feet. Keep standing. Sister Mona, come on up and close us in prayer. Pray for us, Mona. Pray for us, Mona. And let's go out and put it into practice as much as we can, wherever we can, with whoever we can. Because life is not found in the abundance of our possessions. Life is found by how many things we can give away, starting with ourselves. It's more blessed to give than to what? Lord, help us to what? And not just...